How many can honestly say you, you really sense a deep presence of the Lord this morning? I do. It's wonderful. Let's bow our heads one more time. Jesus, thank you for coming. What a wonderful king you are. Walk the aisles of this church, reaching over, touching our hearts with your hand, with your love. We love the way you love us. We love being wrecked by you. We want to be ruined for this world and for anything else by you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Thank you for looking. Thank you for listening. We love you. We bless you. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been teaching on the, uh, the chastening, uh, how we're to chasten our children. It's called spanking. Uh, not a very easy subject to teach because everyone's got lots of different opinions about that. Even young people who don't have children have very strong opinions about how they're to be disciplined. And, and uh, if you missed last week's sermon, we're kind of building on that, although you won't need that to be able to understand what we're teaching today. But if you subscribe to Current, you can go there or go to our website. You can click podcast and it'll take you there. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18. And this particular uh, verse is out of the King James Bible. That's how I first learned it. And um, there's some words in here that I think are important for us to develop. It says, poverty and shame shall come to him that refuseth instruction. He that regardeth reproof shall be honored. That's King James. So instruction is the word. And we can read right over that. There's about 25 verses in Proverbs alone. In fact, the, the author of Proverbs starts off saying that this whole book is about instruction, teaching people how to receive instruction. And uh, reproof, of course, is a verbal correction, verbal, uh, kind of a verbal spanking. And uh, so if you regard reproof, uh, you'll be honored. And if you ignore and uh, refuse correction, uh, another way of saying this is, is, is what, what Proverbs is about, what the Lord is after in us, is teachableness. Teachableness. We're, re we're responsive to the Lord. We're obedient to the Lord. We're open to, he just has to touch the reins of our cheek a little bit, and we move. We're responsive. And um, uh, there's other translations. The God's Word translation says, poverty and shame come to the person who ignores discipline. But whoever pays attention to constructive criticism. So it's not just someone hitting at you verbally. It has to be constructive. They will be honored. Uh, NIV says, whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame. But whoever heeds correction, and that's really the issue, it's, it's correction. And so God wants to correct us. It's a life of correction. And that starts very, very young. And we have to learn our children have to learn uh, how to be corrected, so we have to know how to do that. It's not easy. Um, it's really hard for you to discipline them if you're not disciplined. Uh, you can't really expect them to respond to the Lord, uh, which is the whole goal. The whole goal of you disciplining them, both verbally and, and with spankings, is to teach them, to train them to respond 
to direction and, and correction and input. And if you can train them that way when they're young, guess what? When they're older, they can respond that way to the Lord. And, and when children aren't corrected, they're allowed to say what they want, do what they want. No one really corrects them either verbally or with spanking. Uh, there's just no way I can imagine that they can become responsive to the Lord easily. I mean, it means that he's going to have to discipline them. He's going to have to take them uh, through all the pain of that. Uh, but let's turn it back to you. Don't expect your children to be teachable if you're not teachable. Who can speak into your life without you getting angry and quitting and re rejecting their friendship or stop going to that church? Who can speak correction, construction, constructive criticism? Who can do that in your life? Who, who, who do you allow to do that? Uh, don't expect them to be confrontable if you're not confrontable. Um, don't expect them to be accountable to you if you're not accountable to some authority in your life. Who are you accountable? Who do you allow to look into your life and say, speak to me? Have at it. I, I can't see everything. I can't get everything. I need someone to speak into my life. Don't expect them to be disciplined if you're not. So all child discipline really is about parental discipline. Uh, so reproof is verbal correction. And, and uh, here's, here's this thing about training. If, if uh, it says train up a child in the way he should go, when he's older, he won't depart from it. Here's how training happens. If, if you say, uh, Billy, stop that. There's no Billy's here, right? Okay, Billy, Billy, stop that. And Billy doesn't do it. So you say, Billy, stop that. And he still doesn't obey. Billy, stop that. And finally, he stops it. And so now you're red in the face. You're, your blood is pumping. And Billy responds the, the, at that level of you're letting anger come in. So you've just trained him in that moment to not have to respond to you until you elevate your voice and your blood pressure. You've trained him. And so the next time, next time you say, Billy, don't do that, he doesn't hear that. You're it's not him, it's you. And then you train him, Billy, don't do that. And he still doesn't, Billy, I said don't do that. And then that's when he responds. And, and he won't respond until you get to that level. And, and there's just no way that he's going to respond to the Lord unless the, unless the Lord really, really gets uh, aggressive with him. It's just, it won't happen. We had a school teacher. Uh, it was her first year of teaching. And she'd go after us verbally and, and tell us to stop and settle down. And we ignored her. And then she'd, she'd uh, shout at us, and we would ignore that. She'd stand on the desk and blow her whistle, and that's when we'd settle down. And we loved to see her stand on her desk and blow her whistle. So we never, we never responded to her until she got to that level. She was training us that you don't, you don't have to obey until I stand on the desk, turn red, blow my whistle. She didn't even make it through the entire school year. She had to, it, broke, it breaks my heart now when I think about it. She was a sincere, good teacher in, in terms of really wanting to uh, be a teacher. And she had to quit. She had a nervous breakdown, had to quit. 
And parents do the same thing, and they hate parenting. They say, I hate being home alone with my kids. I hate doing this because they have to stand on the chair and blow the whistle. That's what they really hate. They really don't hate being home with their kids. They just hate standing on the chair and having to blow the whistle. Well, that's on them. You don't have to do that. You can train them so that you say, uh, Billy, don't do that. And if you do it again, there'll be consequences. And so he does it again. And what you do is you, it's your discipline. Then you, you, you verbally have, have already spoken to him. You've told him what's going to happen. Now you have to keep your word. Now you create a discipline that matches that so that the first time in calm, even tone, he begins to obey you. And it's funny, you can do this in about two weeks. Just like you can train a puppy in about two weeks. You can train a person to obey. It's really your discipline. You, you can do this in about two weeks. And the, the more consistent you are, the less you have to do it. So there's a period of time where you don't have to do that at all. You can just say, uh, I'm asking you to do this. Uh, please do that. And they just do it on the first time because they know they've got one chance. And, they, and it's not you flying off the handle. It's not you hitting them. It's not you. That's abuse. That's abuse. For them just to be hit out of nowhere, that's abuse. God doesn't do that. He always reproves. He always speaks. He always warns. And then there's a the discipline. Always. Always, always. You can see that all through scripture. And we need to parent the same way so that uh, get to a point where you don't even have to spank because a verbal reproof is enough. Next thing you know, they're, they're honorable. They're, people are respecting them. People are using them. People are giving them jobs because they're responsive. They're responsive to their boss. They're responsive um, to, to uh, the people over them in the workplace. Isn't that what it says? Poverty and shame comes to him who refuses correction. There are people you can't correct. There are people in this church that I don't correct. I don't speak in their life because they don't take it very well. What Proverbs says is get all the correction you can. Invite it. Get all the correction you can. Who do you have, that, who do you have in your life that can look in your life and speak to you? Probably, very likely, nobody. We don't live that way, but that's really biblical. And then it turns out that we want our children to be responsive. We want them to obey. We want them to obey us. I just know this, that if you work with your children and you truly train them in a way that they're responsible and they're teachable and they respond to, to verbal correction without ever having to get to the pain level, they'll be able to respond to the Lord. They'll be able to respond to those in authority. They'll be able to respond to preaching. And that's your responsibility. In fact, listen, that's your life goal. Your life goal, the reason for child discipline is this, is you want them to be able to respond to the Lord when they're older. You want them to be successful in the workplace. You want them to have a happy marriage. And a happy marriage is learning how to respond to each other. I mean, that's what's going to make the marriage work. We're going to show you a little clip. It's about two minutes, 30 seconds long. It's sad, and it's funny at the same time. Somebody sent this to me. In fact, I won't say anything more for it. Let's just watch it. Let's just watch it, then we'll talk about it. So he's trained that way. Actually, do you see that? Would you say that maybe he's imitating somebody? 
maybe dad. I mean, the expression on his face and, and, and calling her honey. Now, honey, listen. He's heard that. He's seen that. And uh, it, is, it is amusing, but it's really sad in the sense that, that, that she can't reprove him. He's actually reproving her. He won't take it. And it happens in homes all the time. And our whole goal is to, is to bring that, minimize that to, a, to a, a calm, even voice kind of correction that they know that there's a, it's not a threat, it's a promise. But for you not to do that, listen now, is a form of child abuse. Because you're actually raising that child up. I mean, he's not going to be successful. I've, I've watched this when, when um, in, in churches where there's a, a pastor who's overcorrecting the congregation, there's a certain discouragement that happens. And, but I've seen the same thing with the pastor. There's an issue, and no one says anything about it. The same level of dis discouragement happens. And I realized, wait a minute. The effect is the same whether you overcorrect or undercorrect. It's the same. And it's true in the home as well. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. The whole context of this verse is, is about parenting. And uh, I'm going to read it first, Beth, in the Phillips translation. It says, fathers, don't overcorrect your children or you'll take the heart out of them can see it where they, they, they've been ridden. They're, they're, they're constantly on top of them and constantly verbally correcting them. After a while, they can't do anything right. They don't know what to do, so they end up, they do nothing. They have no, they can't problem solve. They can't decide. They just, just kind of tell me what to do. And so you, you take the heart out of them. They're, they're, listen, let's stop right here for a second. There are people in this room who think that every little thought that goes through their head of correcting them is the Lord. Well, he's not going to overcorrect you because it'll take the heart out of you. That, that thinking that every time you do something, there's a thing called condemnation. And it comes sometimes from our flesh and sometimes it comes from a demon outside of ourselves that's always telling you you're wrong, you're no good, that's not right, don't do that, don't do this. That's not God. And there are people who think they're hearing the voice of God. We know it's not God because it'll take the heart out of you. You won't be able to decide anything. You won't be able to go on the mission field. You won't be able to go anywhere. You won't be able to serve because you don't know what to do. You don't know what's, what's acceptable. So it has to be taught. So the Lord's not going to do it. Here's, here's the Colossians 3.21 out of the Amplified Bible. Just amplifies it, just like it says. Fathers, do not provoke or irritate or fret your children. Do not be hard on them or harass them, lest they become discouraged and sullen and morose and feel inferior and frustrated. Do not break their spirit. That's the Amplified Bible. God doesn't want to break our spirits. He wants us to grow straight and strong. He wants us to be decisive. He wants us to know what we can do, what we can't do. It really starts with children when they're little, and there's parents who overcorrect. They correct every little thing, maybe out of their own pride or their own need or what a fear of what other people think, and they overcorrect, and it actually works out so that the, the, the child becomes timid, 
becomes frustrated. There's an explosion of anger that comes out of nowhere and they can't really explain it. There's destruction that happens in the home. That's a sign of being frustrated because they're verbally being overcorrected. So it's possible to dial way back on that and say it once in a calm, even tone and then deliver on your promise what you said would happen, whether it's taking away an allowance or a privilege or they're looking forward to something, you can, you can talk to them about that. And it won't ever come to this. Now, now let's stop here. I've seen churches where the pastor's constantly correcting and harping and, and, and every little thing, what you wear, what you do, where you go, everything is being harped on. And what happens is there's a, a, a timidity, people don't even look, look up, there's a frustration, there's morose, uh, there's a wounded spirit, there's not a, a spirit that's alive and creative, strong. It can happen in a church. Can I go a little bit further? I see it with husbands. I see it with husbands, and I've seen it with wives, where one, one of the partners, uh, the wife is nagging and, and correcting everything, everything, the little thing he says, dusting off, straightening his clothes, fixing his hair while he's telling the someone, correcting every little thing about him. And after a while, he explodes, and she doesn't understand. She comes for counseling, and she says, I don't understand. He just exploded and left. Well, it didn't start there. It built to that. I see husbands who are so timid, they can't lead in silent prayer. They won't raise their voice. They start to speak at a small group, and the wife says, well, you don't know anything. How do you know that? Where do you, where'd you get that information? Where, who taught you that? And she's all over him. After a while, he just withdraws. He won't say anything. We can't nag our children. It'll wreck them. So the way to do it is for you to become disciplined under God, how he treats you. And you have to learn how to use reproof so that you don't have to create pain. But if, you, if they don't respond to a verbal correction, then you have a, a second thing, a go-to. And God does that. He does that in our lives. Next week, I'll, I'll tell you some examples in the scripture of, of how God has chastened people. God chastens us. In fact, one proof that we're sons of God is that he chastens us. One proof that he loves us is that he chastens us. One proof that you love your children, that the proverb says that you, you love your children if you, if you correct them. If you don't, you just let them do what they want to do. Their little, their little carnal nature will just take over. Their little carnal nature will make it so that you won't want to be with them. No one else wants to be them. Then when they get up and they get married, it'll wreck their marriage. The marriage can you imagine this kid being married? trying to resolve something with his spouse. Can you imagine him going and taking correction at McDonald's as when he works at McDonald's? Because that's about as high a level as he's, he's going to get. And he can't take any correction. There's poverty. There's shame. Because we're not training them to be responsive to our voice. We're not to bully. We're not to dominate not to break their will. It has to do with ruling, and ruling is not a popular word. Let's look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It says, let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who served well as deacons obtained for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And 
part of the lesson here is uh, um, how you train your children is how you treat the sheep. You can actually look at a person's life and say, well, I can see, I can see how, what kind of pastor they're going to be. But he says here, uh, let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses. We don't like the word ruling, and I didn't like it. I thought, ruling? That sounds domineering somehow. But I know Paul. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He says, I don't want to dominate your faith. He's not going to, Paul said, I don't want to tell you how to dress. I don't want to tell you what to wear. I don't want to tell you where to go and what to do. I want you to learn that. I want you to be responsive to the, to the Lord. He doesn't want to dominate our faith. So I know that what he's talking about here is ruling. And then I found out, as I studied further, ruling is a kingdom word. Ruling has to do with the king. It has to do with uh, monarchs. They rule. And so he turned this, he says, as pastors, we're to rule the church of God. We're to do that, and it's a kingdom word. It's not dominating. It says someone has to be responsible to say what's going to happen and what doesn't happen. Here he's saying it has to be you rule your children and your own houses well. Pastors are to rule. Parents are to rule. Fathers are to rule. Ruling's not the issue. It's ruling well. It's ruling in a right spirit. It's ruling in a disciplined way, in an even tone. Who rules your house? I've been in homes. I've seen this. You've seen this as well, where anger rules. I've been in homes where anger rules. Everything is managed by anger. You can't do anything because that dad will fly off the handle. You can't do anything because mom will have a fit. We can't do anything because anger rules. And that's a trained experience. That's a learned experience. It doesn't have to be that way. I've been in homes where tantrums rule. I've been in homes where the children rule. The children make the parents. The parents jump. Whatever the kids tell them, and what they, whatever they want or however they respond, uh, the parents correspond. In Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12, he says, as for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them, O my people, which cause them to err. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. It's possible, it's possible to live in such a spiritual decline where the children are the ones ruling the home, and the parents just follow through and, and do whatever they want to keep them, listen, to keep them quiet, to keep them from exploding, from keeping them from having a tantrum, keeping them from wrecking their, their evening or their meal. This can be resolved in, a, in a, just a couple short weeks. All it takes is a dad to say, before God, if God will train me, if God will teach me, if God will help me, I will rule my house, not out of my flesh, but out of my spirit. And I'll rule my house in a godly way, in a way that doesn't create fear and timidity and depression, in a way that leads hearts, makes hearts responsive to the home. All we need is one person. It'd be great if we can get the, both parents on board. I shared last week how, how Heather and I learned how to discipline our children when we were brand new Christians. It was a tremendous relief to me and a tremendous help when Heather says, uh, you know, she had never seen this teaching before. We, she wasn't raised that way. She said, it's in the Bible. I know it's true. And she says, I'm, I'm with you in this. We will do this. 
we will go this way. Oh, what a relief it was to have a partner who yeah, I, I could say, I want you to leave this, this part of it to me. And, and this is my responsibility before God as the, as the father of the house. See, here's something that, that I found out. I found out, let me see if I can find the verse here. Yes. Go with me to Proverbs 17, 6. Beth, can, if you can put that up. This is a great verse. This is an amazing verse. Uh, this should be put on your refrigerator door. It says, children's children, that's grandchildren, children's children are a crown of old men. And the glory of children is their father. Uh, stop right there. He's talking about granddads. I'm a granddad. I have nine grandchildren. I'm a granddad, but I'm a father. And uh, now I'm out of that phase. There's not much I can say or do at this point in time other than just through my example and influence. But the glory of children. Here's what Heather and I found. We found that the children were especially responsive to me, and especially, sorry, Liz, I, I, that post is getting you right there. I'll step back a little bit. I found out that the children really wanted to do what dad said. And I, and I didn't know that it was biblical. I found out it was God-given. God actually created them with a special desire to please dad. Not, not, no discount on mom at all. But dads have this special glory. And grandparents have it in spades. They have a double. It's, it's like a crown. It's an amazing. My grandkids love me. And I didn't do anything to earn it. They, it came, they came that way out of the box. It was that way from the start. And so it was that way. Now, I've got this special influence. And it's God-given. And so if grandpa or when, I, when my kids were little, if dad said, I'd like you to do this, they wanted to respond. They wanted to do that. Now, can you imagine a dad taking that glory and, draw, and driving it in the ditch and exploiting it and overcorrecting them and getting them to get my slippers and get my pipe and get my paper and, and then disciplining them if they don't do all those things? By the way, you shouldn't have a pipe in your house. But, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> you can overuse, you can overexploit, you can take advantage of that glory and then you discipline them for not getting the newspaper. That's wrong. That's wrong. Get up off the couch and get your own newspaper. They're not... They're not puppies in that sense. We can overdo it. But listen, they come created by God with glory where they want to obey. They want, to, they want your approval. They want your acceptance. And that is a useful God-given tool so that they'll hear your instruction and they'll obey. They'll obey and they'll prosper and they'll grow. They'll become successful people. There are dads who don't do that. There are dads who wreck that. There are dads who, who totally abuse that. And there are people in this room who've had that happen to them. And it'd be a really good thing. It'd help you as a dad if you'd reach back in your heart and forgive your fathers. Forgive your fathers for overusing correction and underusing correction. Forgive them from the heart. Flush your heart with forgiveness. Say, God, they didn't know what they're doing. But it's, it's, this is a new day. This is a line drawn in the sand. I want to be a good dad. I want to raise my, my kids not based on my past experience and what my dad didn't do for me or did do to me. I want to start afresh obeying your word and obeying your voice and obeying your spirit. 
That's a powerful thing to pray. Most of us haven't been raised properly. Most of us had dads who didn't treat us right, didn't love us. The only thing I know to do is to forgive them so that I don't take that into my, this is my experience, this is my home, this is my opportunity. Me, I'm going to obey the Lord. Me, I'm going to put God's word first above my own feelings or experience. Children come very susceptible because they're impressionable. They want to learn. They want someone to direct them. Jesus spoke to this in a very unusual way. He said, he said, uh, he says this several times. So it's Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. He's talking about disciples. He's talking about offenses, bad things that happen. And he says, woe to those who, uh, through whom offenses come. Then he starts saying something that's very, very interesting. He said, if any of you offend one of these little ones, he said, it'd be better for you to tie a millstone around his neck and throw it into the ocean. And, and he says this several times. What he's really saying here is he's saying, these kids are so open, so impressionable, so teachable. They come that way. And for you to take advantage of that or exploit that and offend them so that they grow up un being unteachable, they grow up, no one can talk to them, no one can tell them anything. He said, it'd be better for you. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll say it a little differently so you'll hear it. It'd be better for you to take a chain and wrap one end of it around your neck and the other end loop it through a tractor tire and throw it over an overpass. That's what he's saying than to offend one of these little ones who's open and teachable. That's strong language. It's super strong language because it affects them forever. It can keep them out of heaven. It can keep them so they won't hear the gospel. It can keep them so that they don't go to church and they don't, they don't love the Lord. I mean, that is, is such a serious thing. It, it, may be just, it may just wreck them for the first little while where they can't get a good job and they can't. No one wants to train them at school. No one wants to teach them. Their, no one gives them good grades. It might wreck them on that level, but that's nothing compared to how it could impact them for eternity. You, we, we have influence. How we use that influence is everything. This is sobering stuff. This is serious stuff. We have to learn how to do it. I shot a pilloted woodpecker. That's like the worst thing I can say. I was 15 years old. I, I hunted a lot back then. A big bird flew over my head. I didn't know what it was. I raised my shotgun and I shot it. I ran through the woods and I came upon the most beautiful bird I'd ever seen. It was like a prehistoric bird, big red crown, huge bird. By the way, it was big, big, beautiful, beautiful bird. I was so shocked that, that I shot it. I didn't even know what it was. Never seen one before. Never saw a picture of one before. Now, before you get angry with me for shooting a pelleted woodpecker, I'd never shoot one today, but that old carnal nature, that old Penn Clark, who's dead, did it. Me, 
I'm a spirit-filled man. I would never do that. But I was a 15-year-old kid, didn't have a brain in my head. Took it back to the cabin where there was a bunch of guys. My dad was there and my uncle was there. And I, I was kind of proud of it because it was such an amazing species. And I was proud of me for getting it with one shot. And I took it into the cabin and I showed it to the guys. And they all marveled at it except one man, my uncle, who I, I admired. I admired him more than anybody, more than my dad. And he looked at me and he said two words that changed everything. He said, eat it. Eat it. See, the rule was you eat what you kill. And you only kill what you're going to eat. It's like this hunter's code. Eat it. That went through me like a hot knife. That took all my pride out. That took all my joy. I was so disgusted with myself. In a second, in a second, I knew how wrong it was to kill this beautiful pilloted woodpecker. I, was, I felt so ashamed. Uh, I didn't show anyone, and this is the first time that I've talked about it out loud since I was 15 years old today. Never told anybody because it's such a shame to kill a beautiful pilloted woodpecker. Two words brought reproof, brought pain, that created a, a kind of repentance. I walked out into the woods and dug a hole and buried it, and I just felt, I just felt so ashamed for my action. You have influence. You have influence. We have to use it. We have to speak up. We don't have to hit everybody. We don't have to get out a stick every time. There's a reproof. Jesus wrote seven churches, seven churches, and he wrote them letters. And some of them, it was reproof. It was, you're doing this, and it's wrong. If you keep doing it, here's the consequence. I'll do this. If you stop doing it and you go the other way, here's the reward I'll give you. And he sets that out there. That's powerful training. And I find that's how Jesus speaks to me today. He reproves me. He corrects me. But <laughs> he tells me why. I don't have to guess. It's not like I remember living under condemnation, like everything I did was wrong. But I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. And the Lord showed me, says, that's not me. Me, when I speak to you, you'll know what I'm after. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what you're doing wrong. I'll always tell you. Wow, that, that cut condemnation down by, by two-thirds of my life because I thought it was God. That he was on to me about every little thing. Condemnation was doing that. Then he says, if you overcome, if you do what's right, here's what I'll give you. And he sets a reward in front of me, which is incentive. That makes me want to go that way. One of the rewards is sitting at a table with him. One of the rewards is eating with him. One of the rewards is having fellowship with him forever. Isn't that wonderful? That's how Jesus is. Parents, 
we have to tap into that. Try it for a week. Try it at home. Try and see what happens if you can build that kind of thing where you give an incentive to do good things. Warnings if they do the wrong thing. Keep your cool. Don't fly off the handle. Don't, don't lash out. Don't raise your voice. Say it as calm as can be. But then be disciplined enough to keep your word to do what you said you'd do. Then after, you scoop them up in your arms, you love them up one side, you squeeze them, you kiss away their tears, you assure them of your love. And, and if you do that, like what the world is, you know, going to make it impossible for us to discipline our children at one time, the system will. It's because they're after abuse. They're not after what I just described. That's, that's godly. That's good. That's wonderful. That's the way it should be. But so many of us, we fly off the hand, handle, anger rules our homes, and it has to stop. It has to stop. And here's what's interesting. You can decide that it stops. You can decide. Is this helpful? You're an awful quiet bunch right now. You okay? Did I step on your toes? Good. Let's stand together. <laughs>